This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. This is episode number 26, Across the River. Before we get started, I do want to go over a couple housekeeping items. First, this is not an AA meeting or a recovery authorized, I think uh, officially sanctioned meeting. Instead, this is my way of service and I hope that it can stay in the place of a meeting if you can't get to one. Um, Kind of like that, is there a friend of Bill? call that comes out in the airport. You might just need a voice to listen to, to stay strong, to complement your program. Um, But it is not an AA meeting and shouldn't stand in the way of one. And I certainly encourage everybody to work the program, to be a part of a 12-step program, to sponsor other men and women, to work the steps, um, and to try to stay sober today. Secondly, I'm not a mental health professional, so please um, do not take anything that I say as being either educated in the field of mental health or sanctioned by any mental health professionals or organizations. I do also encourage everyone to have a rigorous health program, not only physically but mentally, and to secure the services of a a therapist or a psychotherapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, some sort of help that you can get. I I tell you, it can change your life, especially when taken in conjunction with a 12-step program. Third, I will never accept any kind of remuneration or compensation for this podcast. Um, I would like it to be a part of a larger offering that I give to the recovery world. But it is a part of my service, and it is absolutely free, and I do not ask for nor solicit any kind of advertisements nor contributions or donations. This is free. This is, this is for you and, and for me, actually. It's a form of service, and it helps me. And then fourth, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Please uh, preserve your anonymity, protect your anonymity, but, but also please respect and preserve mine. It's not hard to know who I am. It's not hard to find out who I am. Um, but I just ask that you respect that. This is an act of service. This is not, I, it is not involving commerce or trade. And so um, it is purely altruistic. And I ask that that be respected. If you'd like to reach me, um, I encourage you to go to the interwebs. Uh, you may find me on Instagram, which is at Extravagant Promises Podcast. You can also email me at uh, Gregory B, that's the letter B, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-B, at extravagantpromisespodcast.com. Hopefully there will be a website in the making pretty soon. So with that all said, on with the show. So I am in Venice, Italy, living here for the summer, and I am so happy to say that I found a meeting here of 
English-speaking um, expats and locals um, who conduct the meeting in English and have been already just so tremendous and helpful to me and so kind. And at my last meeting there, a gentleman asked me to share my story as the opening of the meeting, and it was great. I, I'm about to come up on my fourth chip, um, my fourth year chip, and July 19, 2015 is my sobriety date, and I'm really um, looking forward to that. It, it always get, I always get nervous as I approach that date. Um, just because, you know, it, it's such an interesting conundrum. I, I know there's a camp out there, some pretty serious uh, sobriety camp that says, I'm never going to drink again. I will never die. I'll die sober. And just as equally, um, people like my sponsor say those people will drink, you know, and, and you never can say that. All you can say is, I'm not going to drink today. I have, I have 24 hours. Um, I, I don't really know how... Um, I don't know how, how to feel about that. I mean, I, I don't I don't really feel like I can judge either one. I, I love the people who say I'm never going to drink again. I'm going to die sober. Um, I certainly feel like that, but I don't say that. You know, I I have said it, but but I don't know that I feel comfortable saying it. I feel comfortable saying I'm sober today, and today is not my anniversary or my birthday. So, um, so I get nervous as I get closer, you know, because I, I, I want to make it so bad and I just want to get through today and be sober and be strong and be serene. Um, but I'm really excited also about the prospect of four years. Um, I shared my story and I'd like to, I, I have shared a lot of my story on this podcast and I know that it's been about a month and a half or longer since I did my last episode, and I apologize for that. I certainly will start to put out more content, I hope, <laughs> while I'm here. And I just, you know, as, as I approach this sobriety date, oh, it's so meaningful. You know, I, I was, it was a big date for me on June 21st, 2019, because that marked the fourth anniversary of Father's Day in 2015 when I wrote a letter to God, and I was at the end of my rope. You know, um, I, I, I still had further dark caverns to go into, for sure, especially in early sobriety, but I wasn't sober, um, and I was miserable, and my life was falling apart around me. I had been separated for about a year and a half, and things just weren't getting better. Um, I had lived with a dirty, dark secret for two decades, and I felt that I was worthless. And I wrote a letter to God asking God to save me and ask, and saying that if you'll save me, I will serve you. And it wasn't like a if you will. I just was like, babe, please, I'm at the end. You know, that, that there's only one, really one other, there's only one other door in this room. And it's the door to the cemetery. Um, and God, you know, I asked God for an angel. And as I've said before, God sent me a program of angels. And my eldest child, who's a girl, uh, daughter, uh, went to, she was in eighth grade um, when I 
and finishing eighth grade when I got sober. And, um, you know, I was invited to come up on the stage or the dais and present her with her diploma at her high school. Um, it was kind of an honor for her and an honor for me. And it was so cool because I was like, I'm, I, I was sober for her entire high school career. And that was just so huge. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it, it was pretty amazing to be here in Italy, living here for the entire summer and to, and to feel that it, it's a little weird cause I'm alone over here. And, um, and we know what loneliness can do. Loneliness can lead to isolation. Isolation leads to stinking thinking, stinking thinking leads to drinking. And, um, and that's not going to happen here. Um, I am committed to being fully invested in the community here and the AA recovery community at home and, and, and abroad and, and, and working with others while I'm here, um, both back at home and here. So doing my best. So why is this, why is this, uh, podcast episode called Across the River? So as you may know, you may know from my accent, you may know from knowing me or knowing about me, I am Southern. I was born Southern. I'm not some, I'm not, believe me, I am not a Confederate flag waving, you know, General Lee car driving redneck or anything like that. I don't have anything against rednecks. If you are, um, I hope you take that term as a loving uh, term, but you know, I'm not um, I, I grew up in the deep South. I've lived in the South for most of my life, and I love the entire country. I love the world, you know, but I'm Southern. And and as you may, you know, and it's one of those things where I have, the, I see patterns and threads in my life. And when I was in, uh, right out of graduate school and I was working at a firm in DC and I was miserable and I hated it. And I would drive down to my home in Charlottesville, Virginia. I would pass through these civil war battlefields and I would, you know, I would just get out of my car and I was kind of into smoking, trying to smoke a pipe at the time. This is like 25 years ago, forgive me, but you know, I mean, I was just like, so I kind of wander around the trees and stuff alone in my, you know, my jacket is cold, you know, and I'd lie down on the ground to see what, you know, what was it like to be there in this place, you know, where tens of thousands of human beings killed one another and for the, for the sanctity of our union and the abolition of slavery. And, and, you know, I was at Chancellorsville, which is where in, there's the Battle of Wilderness and Chancellorsville that are right outside of Fredericksburg, Virginia. And there's a monument to Stonewall, ja Stonewall Jackson, who was a noted Southern commander, um, a general who who was shot by his own men uh, accidentally, and and ultimately died a few days later, I believe. Um, had some mishaps, um, had his arm amputated or his leg amputated, survived, then got pneumonia and died. And his last words were, and I'll read them to you. Cause it's so epic and beautiful, but one of the, those, 
historians who was present or may not have been present, but knew somebody was, <laughs> I don't know exactly, but uh, a gentleman named Hunter Holmes McGuire said, presently a smile of ineffable, ineffable sweetness spread itself over his pale face. Now let me back up for a second. Jackson, Stonewall Jackson was dying and he was delirious. And I think everybody knew he was going to die. And he supposedly, um, one of, as, as Shelby Foote, the great historian, says, you know, A.P. Hill, the fightingest man in the Confederate Army, um, supposedly Stonewall Jackson, like, called out to A.P. Hill, saying, Hill, bring your men forward. And, and what's interesting about that is that's what Robert E. Lee did on his um, deathbed as well. He supposedly was calling out to A.P. Hill and then said the famous word, strike the tent. We'll get into that later. Um, I, I promise those of you who are not uh, fans of the South or the Confederacy, that's fine. I, I'm, I wouldn't say I am either, but I will share equal time with the Union and my Union heritage as well. I believe I had a relative who was either Sherman or Grant's chaplain. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, um, you may be like, what does all this have to do with recovery? I promise it does. Anyway, so... Stonewall Jackson is dying, and he said, and this gentleman says, presently, a smile of ineffable sweetness spread itself over his pale face, and he said quietly and with an expression as if of relief, let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. And then, without pain or the least struggle, his spirit passed from earth to the God who gave it. And um, I am also a huge Ernest Hemingway fan, as um, many are, I'm sure. Um, and Hemingway wrote a book called Across the River and Into the Trees. And interestingly, it is a book about post-war Italy. It's about an American colonel who, in the wintertime, is living in Venice, Italy. And he is in love, and he is not old, but he is definitely ravaged by the, the mar he's marked by time and, and ravaged by war and the stresses and strains on the human body and persona and, and psyche. And ultimately, on his deathbed, he says the same thing. You know, he, he reminds the person who's with him about Stonewall Jackson's quote, I had heard it when I was younger as let us ride across the river and rest beneath the shade of the trees. Um, but whatever, it's, it's, it's a wonderful book by Hemingway called Across the River and Into the Trees, and it's all about Venice. And I was, I read it um, several times, and then I remember reading it again in 1995 when I came here to Venice. I was single. I was nearing the end of my first job as a professional at a firm that, well, I, I don't think they liked me much and I didn't like them and I was probably living up to their expectations of what a lousy young man I was and they were certainly doing their part and, uh, you know, no hard feelings or anything. It just, I, I, <laughs> I was not happy and I was... You know, I was drinking a fair amount back then, and I got real romantic in notions of Venice, and, and I read that. And, and so 
you know, here we are 24 years later. I'm kind of like that American colonel in his book, in Hemingway's book. You know, I'm, I'm pretty battered up by time and self-harm, the harms of others, <laughs> but just life. And I've seen some great and amazing things. And I reached a, a little bit of a crossroads in my life this spring. And I decided that for the first time in my life, I was going to do something, you know, purely for me. Um, and not 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 selfish and not self-serving necessarily, but both of those also. And I, I advised my colleagues that I was going to take a sabbatical for three months. It's really more like two and a half, but who's counting? Um, and, you know, I, I, I declined to take a paycheck. Even though I, I own the business, I, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to put my footprint on this. I'm going to, I'm going to step back and I'm going to go back to Venice. I, I was engaged here in Venice sometime after that first trip that I talked about. I had some very good times in this city, this a magical city. And I want to share it with you about the, just, and, and, and I'll digress for a moment and say, that why did I choose Venice? Well, number one was I, I, this is one of the two or three places on earth where the moment I got here, I knew I belong here. I don't know why. There's just something about it. I'm not a big ocean guy. I'm not a big beach guy. You know, I never have been. I love the beach. I love the ocean. But I'm not like, oh, my God, I got to live here. I'm more of a mountains guy. But I love New Orleans. And there's something very much like New Orleans with the stone and the sweltering heat and the smell and the ancient uh, uh, cross-cultural architecture and, you know, this place defies any particular brand. I mean, sure, you got the Bridge of Size and you've got gondolas and you've got churches, but, but it is so multicultural in its origins and its expanse and beauty. And that salty smell, it just, I, I dig it. And, um, and so... You know, I I came here, I think, three times while I was married. Um, and, you know, most of the times were, they were good times, but they were, you know, extreme alcohol inebriation times. And I wanted to come back, not face my demons or reclaim it or anything, but really kind of re-own my relationship with this city. You know, just as a local kind of thing, just sitting here and, and not with no agenda, nothing. I, I just need this so much. I've n I have not had a moment of ownership of my life since I was 17 years old, maybe since I was 18. You know, I talk about how I went to a very prestigious and aggressive and elite boarding school that I loved dearly and deeply and I was very happy there and it was a great it was very hard and it was a tough life but it was beautiful and fun and I was safe there but from that point on I never felt comfortable in my own skin I never felt at home anywhere I always felt like an outsider even in my own body uh, you know, I, I I just didn't take 
nor did I have responsibility and ownership and accountability for my own life. And I made some, I did a lot of great things, but I also made a couple key significant mistakes that really, you know, exhausted, gave me great things, but exhausted the better part of my life thus far. And I wanted to come back and just have no agenda other than myself. You know, not self-indulgent. I'm not drinking. I'm not partying. I'm not doing, really kind of go to sleep early and I walk into churches and I say prayers and I look at art, take some tours here. I go to little local, little Chiquetti, you know, Bacara, Bacara, uh, they call them these little like, almost like corner shops that have sandwiches and coffee and you can drink there if you want, but it's not a big party. You know, there, a lot of people have these cocktails here, but, um, you know, I wouldn't say this is a big drink in town at all. And that's, I like that. It's not, and obviously I'm not drinking. Um, you know, it's not like I, I love Vail, Colorado, but you're in Vail, man. It is like, yeah, every, every night at four in the morning, you can hear all the revelers coming home and it's just annoying. Um, and it feels very lonely to be there when the lights go out, you know, and you're, you're alone and, and not drinking. So here I feel very comfortable and I feel very much one with the history of these buildings. And that's why I'm calling this episode Across the River. It's, it's the, you know, that, that confluence between my heritage, my, where I was born, where I lived, you know, Virginia, but also this Hemingway book and then this amazing Italian city that I just want to embrace and I want to reclaim. And that little boy in me, you know, wants to, wants to be born here again, you know, and, and to, and to love and, and, and to get my four year chip here. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, it's pretty cool. And, you know, I picked up my 90 day chip in Sun Valley, Idaho, interestingly, which is where Hemingway committed suicide and died. And, uh, that was super cool because I was with my best friend and I've told stories about that on this podcast in earlier episodes, but which is really important to me. So I'm here. I'm going to try to put out a lot more content while I'm here and a lot more meaningful recovery-based podcast content. So this isn't all about me, you know, jaunting and journeying through Italy. But I did want to get the get the ball rolling, kind of break the seal on this thing. So I'll I'll leave us with two Two quotes. The first is from Across the River and Into the Trees. Now, there's so many good ones. You know, um, he says, when people talk, listen completely. Don't be thinking what you're going to say. Most people never listen, nor do they observe. You should be able to go into a room and when you come out, know everything that you saw there and not only that. If that room gave you any feeling, you should know exactly what it was that gave you that feeling. That's how I want to feel about Venice. All that glitters is not gold. 
often that you heard that told. Many a man his life has, hath sold, but my outside to behold. Gilded tombs do worms enfold. <laughs> that's from the Merchant of Venice. And that's awesome. But I'm going to read something different. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that giveth, gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throne monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. I was obligated to, compelled to memorize that uh, in third year English in my high school with my best friend, two best friends, one of whom I've, both of whom I've spoken about on this podcast, one of whom's passed away, living in Thailand when following his dreams and following his journey. And my other in Sun Valley, Idaho, following his dreams and his journey. He's still alive and in my heart, both of them. Guys, you know, take ownership and responsibility for your life. It is your life. You know, it's easy to say, go and change it, do this and that. I, I can't, I can't do that for you. I can't tell you how to change it. But if there's if there's one thing that people regret. It's that they didn't, they weren't true to themselves. To thine own self be true. That is what our one-year chips say. That's what our, I think our 30-day chip says that, you know. Maybe the, I know the white chip doesn't say that because it's just white and blank. But anyway, um, the silver 30-day chip says that. To thine own self be true from Shakespeare. This amongst all things. And the, and the point is, is that yourself, you know, it's your self. It's your body. You have dominion over on earth. Not your higher power obviously has dominion over everything. But, but you have dominion over your soul, over your heart, over your body, over your trials, your tribulations, your, your highs, your lows, your loves, your losses, your achievements, your failures. They are yours. Own them. Be them. Embrace them. Do not let anyone else have them. They are yours. I love all of you, and thank you so much for listening. And uh, stay tuned for a lot of good episodes from this beautiful place, La Serenissima. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly know, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us 
what we could not do for ourselves are these extravagant promises. We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God bless and good evening.